Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine, and deeper into the stories. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and this episode I have for you today is literally one that is months in the making. One that I've been eager to craft and record since February 7th of this year when the world lost the great John Perry Barlow. For those unfamiliar, John was an American poet. He was an essayist. He was, he was a cattle rancher and a political engaged advocate for civil liberties and a freedom fighter who championed an independent internet. He too was a lyricist for the Grateful Dead and for my money was one of the most fascinating humans to ever walk upon this rock we reside on hurling through space. While I was yearning to pay tribute to John in February, I was aware that his memoir was set to be released, entitled Mother American Night. My Life in Crazy Times, which dropped just about a week ago. And I knew that this book would be rife with insight and compelling stories. And I I wasn't wrong. Barlow is a born storyteller, and Mother American Night runs through a life that soared through a bevy of cultural and political touchstones since the 1960s. I have no doubt you will be floored in the discussion that follows of, of the life that John Perry Barlow lived as I certainly was after reading Mother American Night. To help me discuss this memoir in this unforgettable spirit, I employed the help of George Gadotti, who has been on this podcast multiple times, formerly talking with me about Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth, and before that, Sebastian Younger's Tribe. George was as as affected by John's life in this memoir as I was, and and me and George, we dig deep on all things John Perry Barlow, not just the book... uh, a few other things he was associated with as, as John just lived an extraordinary life. And, and we really, we truly hope that this, this podcast acts as an ode uh, to this American icon. So uh, we're about to get into it, before, but before we do, I'd like to remind you that Across the Margin, the podcast is a part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Go to OsirisPod.com to learn more about... Uh, everything Osiris has to offer and check out all their podcasts. There's uh, no other way to put it but to say that Osiris is kind of on fire these days. There, there are new episodes out there that are kind of must-listens by uh, Godwin Evan, Under the Scales, Help and Friendly Pod, Beyond the Pod. Uh, it just, it's, they're, just, they're just pumping it out right now. So, so get over there and check it out. And um, right now, uh, here you go with me and George. Talking about Mother American Night, John Perry's Barlow's life in crazy times. 
George, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, love, always such a pleasure to have, have you here. Love to have you on. So uh, thanks for making the trip up again. Of course, man. I love to be here and I'm excited about this one. Yeah, yeah this topic is something. Well, we've been waiting to do this tribute as, um, as I mentioned in the intro for some time, this celebration of this enchanting, enchanting global vagabond's life for months now since, since he passed. And, and I do know that this book and and all that you know about John has um, affected you deeply, as it, as it has with me as well. And uh, and I just I was curious, just to kind of get us rolling here, is um, what did reading Mother American Night do to you? Um, it it really brought me back, um, <clears throat> and everything that I do, um, you know, will always bring me back to my friends. I think because that's where I've had the most fun in life. But yeah, you start thinking about your personal um, experiences. Yeah, the you... parallel between like. The, the crew of people that um, John Perry Barlow surrounded himself with, like, mm. the characters, like I, I could draw such similar parallels between our friends, Fish Tour, you know, um, it, it made me excited that I did what I did, traveled as much as I did, yeah. toured like I did, there was experimented as life. much as I yep. did. Yep. Um, not the, the degree he did, but um, mm-hmm. it, it, did, it definitely brought me back um, into that also taught me some things about you know perspectives of the dead that I was clueless about yeah you know, absolutely before I knew that, yeah it's so. a really inside look and, and and he's got such a cool perspective as not a member of the band but he was entrenched as well I mean he was he was, he was also a fan he was kind yeah. of a lot of people saw him as kind of a link to the fans to the to the band and so that was that was unique in that way but his life and it was such an adventure and and just after reading it, and, and everyone, of course, out there uh, should. And, and I just want to say this before we really get going. Um, this, this podcast is going to be filled with spoilers from the book. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what we get into and how much we, we cover, there is so much that happens in John's life that, that, that even if we are spoiling it, it's, it's, it's not going to take away from you when you do read Mother American Night. It's a... We're just we're just giving you a taste of what's in there, and and I think by listening to this, you're gonna be like, man, I need to pick that book up. So, but yeah, so I like I can't get over all his encounters and and endeavors in life, and you know, from the cattle ranch in Wyoming to Andy Warhol's factory to India to Haight Ashbury to Washington D.C. to Silicon Valley. All it reminded that. me of On the Road a lot. Yeah, um, that, totally. Which was a book I read when I lived with Carl Caldis. Yep. Reminded me a lot of my life with Carl. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, just being stupid and totally. traveling and things like that. So uh, this book hasn't taken me like taking me on like on the road like on the road did, but yeah. he takes me back out on like yeah back out on the road. Yeah, some of the, some it. of those reckless uh, uh, years of experimentation and finding yourself are, are you know I I know I romanticize them and yeah. I know what they mean. To I me. felt like the nerves and anxiety in like the first twenty chapters yeah. because it's so wily. And it reminds me of me getting into my wily phase of life. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. so he, I mean, he started out, and this, the book starts out and kind of moves forward chronologically. And he started out in Wyoming as sort of ranching, ro- ranching royalty, um, you know, kind of grown into a, a family that had some political inroads and, uh, you know, a huge ranch in Wyoming. What, did, what were your thoughts on the... The early chapters and just his his upbringing it was it was completely fascinating stuff. Yeah, he got it was like you know <clears throat> what I had, but on a next level. You know, like mm. I had you know the woods behind my house, which I always talk about, and that kind of freedom 
um, that he had, but he really seemed like he had like mega freedom to jump on major opportunities yeah. with super exciting people. Well, his um, like you mentioned, uh, opportunity. His parents, um, and it was so fascinating. I mean, the fact that he even came to be was crazy. His mother's radiation sickness and all all that. That's right. But, I even forgot about that yeah, until you just said yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it was really remarkable. But um, he was given a sort of freedom. His parents had their own life. And like, you know, they were happy to have their child and everything, but, um, they, they, you know, they kind of, he, he, the way he describes it is they spared him of any expectations, which, which, which did kind of, you know, let him set sail in a lot of ways and let him be his own man. I, I did, I noticed, um, uh, in one of the early chapters, something that struck me is that his dad was, a uh, was kind of, um, you know, he's a Wyoming ranching man, a Republican politician, and he was kind of woke as fuck, if you think about it. That's, there's that story of uh, the integrated schools that he supported, and he was supporting the black teacher. Um, I just thought that was so cool. I think, well, and, and, but a Republican in the sense of his father is very different than our perception of today's Republican. Absolutely. Um, and I, that, that's something that I, I wanted to make sure we brought up because I agree. Republican is like that. a bad word. It, now. Yes, exactly. Um, he even says there's a point in the book where he says, you know, it, it, he kind of draws the line of where he could stand by his his Republican beliefs. Let's, I mean, he never really mentions the word, but like the, his ideal, his kind of ideals and, and and what he celebrates in a way is libertarianism. Yep. It's, I mean, that's that's what he's yep. about. So yeah, there's a point where he's just like, yeah, before the Republican Party went to shit. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, it, well, it was just more of the the Republican back then was more of an independent business. Person, yep. man, typically, you know, uh, taxes, frontline priority, yep. you know, those types of things before we got into the bullshit of Republican will say to get elected now, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. two very different things. So, Absolutely. Um, um, but yeah, I, th- I think his father was an intriguing character for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I was just about to say something that I'll weigh down a little bit, but, um, Let's not move further without talking about the first sentence of the book. Um, as a writer, I you know, first sentence is a big deal to us. Where we're talking about yeah, remind that, me what it was yeah. that launching pad. It's um, it's I am determined to learn how to accept love, which I think might be the secret of life. And so this this kind of this this idea kind of uh, lingers through the whole book. This 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 thing about accepting love, and you would think this this caused me to think a lot about it. But you would think. That accepting love would be just the easiest thing. If someone loves you, you know, you kind of soak it in. But I mean, he it did make me think about how that is challenging in a ways, and how a lot of people push that off. And I know he was struggling with it, and um, that was that was that was poignant in a way. And it really he brings it home towards the end in a lot of ways with that. Well, um, uh, the end of the book is miraculous. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> no question that it would probably be my biggest takeaway from the book was acceptance of love because I started thinking about the different people in my life that aren't good at accepting love. Yeah. I think I'm very like, I don't, you know, accepting love comes quite naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but, but sometimes you'll just see some people that seem like more angry all the time yeah. and it's probably because they won't accept love. They probably have more love. And they're not going to give any love, love because they don't even know yeah. how to accept it. So yeah, sure. if you can accept it, like, so when you, when you see somebody that's yelling at their dog, um, they probably have a problem accepting love because yeah. the fucking dog didn't do anything yeah. wrong. You know, they're, 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 they're out, they're yelling at themselves. Yeah, absolutely. They're and not, so, they're, 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 
you know, it's, it's a line I always use when, when I was raising my uh, child. I, th- I think one of my, her teachers taught me, it's like, they're not giving you a hard time. The dog's not giving them a hard time. That person's having a hard time. Exactly. You know? and yeah. It's, it's, if, uh, now that you say that, I think we've talked about it. Yeah, we have. I brought that up. I don't want um, but yeah, I think live, that... Live by that. But. <clears throat> um, I, I, it, it, like, I started thinking about other people that I know that need to learn on a accepting love a little bit yeah. more um but maybe I, yeah I, I didn't really think so much about myself about it but definitely. um but well, yeah no accepting love yeah was I, a, I, I definitely personalized undertone. it a little bit and tried to gauge if uh you know where I was on that and and it made me think about some things for sure and I just it's it, yeah that just I mean what a way to start this this adventure of a book yeah. and and uh and just to keep pushing on because it's you know what we kind of want to push on like the journey that is the book it rolls this uh the chapters just to talk about the book a little bit the chapters are pretty terse they you know they're they're quick little sections each like snippets of their life it moves like a bowling ball it really really does um but john's parents eventually ship their wild child off to school and and the first place he landed um school wise was Fountain Valley School in Colorado, um, and this is extremely significant, as this is where, uh, roaming just across the hall from him, he met Bob Weir, uh, future Grateful Dead guitarist, obviously, and frontman, and his future songwriting partner, and uh, it's wild to think all the things that had to occur to, for that uh, serendipitous moment to, uh, to happen. Yeah, reminded me of, you know... Try Anastasio hearing Fishman in his halls yes. in the dorm room. You know, yep, absolutely. These things that happen that bring these people together. You know, are unbelievable. But yeah, I, I couldn't help but think of that parallel. But yeah, yeah no, the fact that course, he knew Bobby I mean, so well, I didn't know that at all until yeah. I read the book. Oh, did you not? No, I mean, I didn't know a whole lot about him. Oh, that must have been cool then. Whatsoever. Like, this in. is me learning about you know John Perry Barlow. Great. Yeah. I'm hoping that a lot of listeners are, are kind of getting in, yeah. into. It. And I'm sure there are. I know, I know that a lot of. A lot of people from Osiris who listen might might uh, might be familiar, but I know a lot of our other listeners might be, you know, kind of like, who is this man? And and as we go through, you're gonna just be shocked. We're gonna talk a bunch about the dead and LSD, like right now. But I mean, just like his, his workings with the internet, his workings in politics, it's remarkable this life. But um, so one of the first things he mentions about Bob is uh, he hears him playing guitar pretty early on in their relationship, and his quote was, it was obvious to me that he was good at this and nothing else. Yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> so Bob, um, he came um, to, uh, you know, I think they got to know each other a little bit at school, but Bob actually ended up getting thrown out of Fountain Valley. And, and um, once John heard that, he... Uh, he told his father that, and so he and he wanted to hire Bob to come up to the ranch, to come to, to the ranchers in Pinedale, Wyoming. It's called Bar Cross, and uh, he, he had him up there for about 50 days, and, and this is where they really got to know each other and um, and where they bonded. And uh, it's it's funny, they mentioned just at this point that, um, you know, a lot of girls were all, were all over him at the ranch, but... Bob at this time was a Christian scientist oh, who was saving for himself for marriage. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like even now, now that I've watched the other one, that, yeah. you know. You How know, good like, is that? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 but yeah, Bobby, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, and, and he's somebody I've just learned more about over the last couple of years. Like my wife, Bridget's been a bigger dead. Yeah. Like I'm the fish head of yeah. the family. Oh, is that a deal? She's the dead head. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, she just knows way more and saw a lot of dead shows. Sure. Um, but but Bobby, you know, like when you first start learning about the dead and getting familiar with them, you just think of Garcia. Yeah. Um, but then when you go back and you know learn about it at this age, like Bobby is such you know he's as big of a part of the band as Absolutely. everybody. You know? Yeah, Bob, Bobby kind of had like a renaissance <laughs> of late, and I think the other one helped and. And, um, and when you say like guitar was the only thing he could do well, like Paige of Fish said he couldn't, like he had to be a good keyboard. Like he had nothing, oh, yeah, else, he had nothing to fall else. Back. Yeah, like, that was it. And I haven't heard him say that. Um, yeah, I think it's in the Fish book. Like, okay, the Fish book. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, great piece. Yeah, absolutely. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, the fact that these artists only had that to fall back on. Obviously, is. yeah, I have to make this work. Yeah, I, I, I like that. It's, it's, I mean, talk about a motivation. I've heard other artists say, like, there, there was no other option for me, I, I had to make this work. Or the, the, like, I almost wish that I knew the only that thing, thing I was good at. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, exactly. Put it all on Instead the line, of like partially half assing, you know, the 50 things that I do do. Yeah, uh, I, I doubt that, George. I, I, I know how you make things, uh, how you get things done. So, in time, Barlow, um. He uh, he went east to school. Uh, he went to Wesleyan, and and this led him to a lot of really really cool places. Uh, and it, one thing to say about this and that kind of relates to me and you and the, this podcast is uh, when he was at Wesleyan, did you notice that um, he would make friends? He made friends at Sarah Lawrence College, Campbell, so he can go down there, and so he he he. You know, with his friends who had Joseph Campbell's class. Yep, Our last podcast right, yeah. that George and I did was about Joseph Campbell. And um, he would make sure that he had access to his lectures and went down every Monday morning to be at his lectures. Yeah. Maybe. No, I, I, yeah. The, the, the little similarity. So this is our fourth podcast together. Yeah. And I love every one of them. They're big deals in my life. But yeah. <clears throat> things have weaved their way through the Each topics one. that we discuss. And here... Campbell comes popping out of Mother American Night. It put a huge smile on my face when that hit, hit the book, knowing we were going to do this. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that that's somebody like Campbell, and, and so I started um, just in researching more about John Perry Barlow. Like yeah. I followed his Twitter feed, um, and I was just ripping through it yesterday while I was fake working. And um, but one of the things he he said about Joe Campbell, one of his favorite quotes is Joe Campbell's is, "We are all masks God wears." Oh wow. Um, and oh, damn. Um, in our last podcast, we were saying, I mean, to me, that's like equivalent of we are the universe observing it yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, but we are all masked, God wears. The fact that he made those trips to see Campbell speak. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a haul on a Monday morning, too. Yeah, I, yeah. I know the distance. I know the. Yeah, the he wasn't area shy to haul ass across the country or yeah. wherever he needed yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking about your trip up for these. Uh, it's we don't, we're, I don't I don't believe we're going to talk too much about his relationships in this, but that is a big that's a corner you know cornerstones of the book is his relationships his passionate relationship. But there was um he basically had a 1900 mile booty call going for a while yep. like he was driving across the country 1900 miles. Uh, that's love. I mean that's not just a uh, uh, passion. But even how we relate to somebody like that, you and I have spent you know. Sometimes together yeah. on our own on tours, but a lot of time on the road. Yeah, absolutely. You know, where there's just green mile markers, mm-hmm. dotted lines, time yeah. and time to just pass and think. Yeah. And um, I think that <clears throat> the time on the road builds unbelievable um, character, 
um, that really us and our friends get yeah. more than anybody. I mean, I think I know everybody thinks road trip, man. Yeah, and their yeah, friends yeah. did the ultimate road trip. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody did it as well as we did. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was that time on the road um, that he must have spent um, learning about his relationships. Um, I, I learned so much on, on the It's meditative road. in a yeah. lot of ways, and, and they do get into it in the book where he was drawn to the road, and they, they, it's it's really early on when. You know, you just know he knew that he was he was bound for, you know, travel and adventure. And it just it is a spirit that, uh, you know, we're all so different. And it's something that boils in some of us. And, you know, it's it's like you were saying, you wished, you know, you knew that one thing. Part of me sometimes uh, wish I didn't have this like, you know, kind of reckless, like, you know, nature in some ways or whatever. It's I a used, gift and a curse yeah. in some ways. And so, so some, some of that journey and travel and experimentation, but it's, it's, it's funny. We're all built different. I used to wish that I was more normal. Like, yeah, maybe it's, I mean, whatever. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't think that we really wish for it, you yeah, know, because yeah. that normalcy is like, um, what was it? There was one thing. It's just randomly popping into my mind. Comedian. Um, was this the Seinfeld documentary? Oh yeah. And uh, there was one comedian that was talking to Jerry Seinfeld. He was like an up and coming comedian. He was like, "Yeah, but what about you know, like you see all your friends like starting to get these like promotions, these like great benefits <laughs> package, <clears throat> paying down their mortgage, yeah. like really making these strides that like I'm not even fucking you know close to making. Couldn't yet. even imagine. But Couldn't um, even imagine. so yeah. Jerry Seinfeld told said to that comedian, he was like, "Let me tell you about a story of a band." Um, who was traveling around the country, a jazz band, their car broke down um, and they just, they needed to eat. Like they were in the middle of nowhere, but they were, they were sludging and they were carrying all their equipment, like, you know, just guitars and banjos and whatever. I could be telling the story a little wrong, but they finally got to a house and they were all looking inside the window of a family sitting around a fireplace and it was all warm inside and the band and they looked at each other and they said, who could live like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never did. Yeah. There's wow. a great, like, I, you know, but that, that's kind of the you way that I You would think that would like, be an oasis, yeah. oasis in the middle yeah. of the desert. And they're like, look at that. Who, who could live like that? Yeah. Um, so Wesleyan, uh, not only, you know, it could get him to be able to sneak into Joseph Campbell's lectures, but it led him to Millbrook, New York. And, um, yeah. that's where the, uh, Castalia, am I saying that right? The foundation, Castalia Foundation. Close foundation. enough. I think Castilla. I just said foundation Castilla. wrong. Yeah, yeah I think you just nailed it. But, but that's where Timothy Leary um, was living with uh, calling the group. He, that's what he was calling the group of people who were living communally with him and taking LSD together. Um, and I love, uh, I think a friend of him drove, uh, drove him up one night, but um, I love how he described his first thoughts of uh, they were living in like this castle, their house, and, he's, and, he, and he says to himself, this scene definitely bears further observation. <laughs> like, like, yeah. There's so something that was his first here, trip man. to Millbrook? You're yeah. Talking about? yeah. Yeah. There's something happening here. So, uh, it's, 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 did you read flashbacks? Mm. It was Timothy Leary's, well, you know what I have? His autobiography yeah, yeah, great book. Yeah. I read it in high school, um, during class. Yeah. It's um, awesome. But yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's really amazing. It's, I mean, it's Timothy Leary's oh, yeah. life at Millbrook, but, um, one of the uh, my favorite things, like when he talks about, like he brought the dead to Millbrook. Well, that's I was just about okay. to get into. I mean, LSD intrigued Barlow right away, and because he saw everyone was taking it there, um, 
his uh, I love how his attachment was um, kind of related to religion. He he kind of you know we kind of kind of flashed over it as we flash over a lot of things. But I mean, he had the kind of like he's always had this inclination for religion. There was some there's Mormon moments in his life just because of like relationships he had in Wyoming. Yeah. But then he got in. Uh, Intrigued and curious of the um, the Harvard um, psilocybin project that sought to determine whether ingesting psilocybin could help induce uh, subjects to have a religious religious experience. And spoiler alert, it can. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but that was something that he really really dwelled on. And so I'm going to open the book real quick because and th- well, that's a, that that experiment at the church. Like uh, Duncan Trussell talks about that a uh-huh. lot. His Alex Gray, who's yeah. at Park Slope, and you got to have. I know, I know. He's, he's in the hood. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's was so shady, like yeah. if they induced a, a group with like psilocybin. I, I forget the numbers were pretty staggering that they had a like a, a religious mystical experience yeah. in the church. Or, no question, it's um, insane. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. But uh, so he ends up taking his first um, LSD with. Uh, Timothy Leary and just his uh, his description of, of his first trip is insane. It's, it's, it's I'm going to just quote from the book. In a sense, it, this is this is how powerful he thought that first trip was. And I actually I actually really buy into this. In a sense, there's only one real trip, the first one. After that, you're only confirming what has already been revealed to you, um, which I think is amazing. He actually goes on, and this is on the same page and. Uh, uh, I knew for the first time that I was experiencing things as they really were, which is utterly continuous. There was not one thing and another thing. It was all the same thing, the holy thing. So that first one uh, uh, really got him. Um, he had a moment where like, he just like realized like everything, you know, everything's not okay, but everything was okay in that moment in this yeah, celestial. Is okay. yeah, yeah, in that bigger, bigger sense. Yeah, so of course. But, uh, and he also, and I, I know this relates to you, he was scared a little bit. And like he was in, in, but he liked that uh, being scared. He learned how to be, you know, to quote the book again, but he learned how to be grateful for the, those horrors as well, in that they helped him understand the fragile miracle of his own being. Yeah, that you like that. The fact that you even brought that up is a big deal. Like, yeah. <clears throat> because with me, like being nervous or paranoid, I'm not paranoid. I don't mm. know what to call what I am. Yeah. But, <laughs> But being scared is is a big play of it all, even if it's for the like an hour a day, yeah. the first couple hours of the day, two days of one week. But like the the rest of my life is a reflection of having had that feeling. So I feel like this glowing euphoria when I'm not scared. And even at one point he talks about Jerry and his relationship with um, um, Hell's Angels. Yeah. You know, where yeah. he, he questions that relationship and Jerry's like, well, I mean, you can't. Really, how can I know good is if I don't surround myself Absolutely. with people that don't he, care? Yeah, about he uh, Jerry saw the value of the good and the bad there because yeah. Uh, yeah, Barlow was questioning why he would hang around with these people that are. Well, yeah, and there's like a, a Jerry he quote where he's like, uh, "Pig pen embodied the Grateful Dead." Yeah, uh, yeah. where I'm just like, oh, I was like, I never got that. Like, I need to do so much research on Jerry Garcia. Yeah, um, but I mean, I'm. I, and I have, but like yeah. I, I just now I realize I'm just scratching. Yeah, the, I mean, well, I think this book actually uh, to touch on Jerry some. It's 
it made me realize even more so, and I knew this, how complicated a figure was. I mean, yeah, that, I got that a lot. Yeah, out of the book. It's, like, it's, it's, even it, when he uh, talked about him hating his body and like that was incredible. Actually. Like, yeah, I mean, like I could feel the same way. Like, I'm like sometimes I'm like sabotaging myself. Yeah. I'm like why? You know, it's just because. Totally. Of, yeah, he said he hated his I'm body. Just fucking and he me up. I'm a, my own graffiti artist. Yeah, he felt. I mean, he felt that, and I get that. He almost felt trapped in it, and he, it, it's 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 a shame that we are defined by this physical thing that we are given. We don't have a choice to be given. Yeah, and I think you know. Sherry, this like celestial, spiritual, amazing, you know, being that that has affected so many of us was trapped in something. I'm sure he, you know, it seems like at times he wasn't proud of, and that's that's gotta yeah, be except intense. for when he was on stage. Yeah, you know, yeah, which is when when he was saying that that's when Jerry like transcended his body and just yeah. became one Damn with the right. music. Damn fucking right, you know? he yeah. Did. <laughs> Damn right, he did. So yes, you were just saying how he it was Barlow who brought the dead to. Timothy Leary brought him up there um, with a copy of Sergeant Pepper's. They had a Sergeant Pepper's listening party. Yeah. Like, like that's that, I love that scene with them, all of them in there, and it was a huge moment for all of them when Sergeant Pepper's came out. Uh, Timothy Leary even said, "What was it when um when they after they were all listening and, and he realized how big a deal that the Beatles put out something so psychedelic." He said, "He's like my work is done here. Yeah, yeah. now it's, it's amazing. Out. Yeah, yeah. They um, <clears throat> they kind of there was a portrayal through Barlow of his early interactions with Timothy Leary that were very different than his later friendship interactions with Timothy Leary. He found what they were doing at Millbrook a little pretentious at times. And, of uh, course, yeah. It, and, and but like it just it was cool that the book traveled to a place that we were kind of able to get um, a better experience." of Barlow with Timothy and, and more insight into their relationship. That was cool. Like when Barlow talked about um, like him and Bobby getting jumped in somewhere in Manhattan, like the Lower East Side. Yeah. There for, for oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So then they're like, you know, so they got jumped. Bob I got, got jumped in Philly and in, in Rittenhouse uh-huh. Square. So like I've been jumped. Yeah, of course. And uh, when when you deal with a hippie that's like, man, why can't everybody love each other? You know, Bobby that's had a, them singing uh, like a Hare Krishna song and almost had them like yeah, from jumping until they and kicked his ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I tried to do the same what thing. I'm cool like, yo, what's up, guys? Like. You can have everything I have. Yeah, and they yeah, just exactly. take you down and Absolutely. try to get the money out of your pocket. But um, yeah, that was um, with his. You know, with where the Grateful Dead was, where he was like, you know, like like Timothy Leary would never understand, you know, like like we got jumped, like yeah. you know, and he's talking, why can't the world everybody just yeah, love just each went, other, yeah. you know, and that's where I'm like, man, the Grateful Dead were fucking grimy, dude. Yeah, they were, but, they, but 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 they so were, was I. I, I think so were my out, friends. They were out. They, he says they were out to kick some ass and have some fucking fun and like that's, yeah, that's, they weren't that's, like, oh, let's watch TV. He was saying he's like, let's break this TV and turn it into a refrigerator <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, they're they're badass. <laughs> Absolutely. And, then, and so he had those encounters with the dead here, but um, you know, he really he, he didn't get into the dead culture that much until he, he moved west. Uh, it was the summer of '67, and he connected um, with Bob again. You know, real connection there, and learned more about the Grateful Dead. So I want to note one more time that I am skipping so so much. That's that's why this book is so worth reading. I'm skipping. India, a wild bomb plot, uh, the the Powder Ridge Festival. I learned yeah, that I, big bomb plot. Yeah, that was yeah, that was nuts. The Powder Ridge Festival. I, I learned about that um, a few years ago. That's fascinating. So that's so there's just so so much. But um, so he goes out west, and and after time, they, uh, he takes a trip to Mexico with Bob and uh, John McIntyre, who Jerry and Robert Hunter wrote Uncle John's Band about. Um, 
and John um, uh, Perry Barlow eventually sat down and wrote his first lyrics. Let's talk lyrics. He wrote his first lyrics to uh, Mexicali blues, and uh, and what was so kind of unique, and he actually mentions it uh, across multiple pages that. The song that convinced John he could write lyrics was Chris Christopherson singing uh, "Sunday Morning Coming Down." So it's 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 unique what will inspire you. But uh, yeah, he was a natural poet and writer, but he was not uh, a nat- natural um, songwriter in some ways. So it's, I it, you know I almost think of him as um, an accidental songwriter. And, and yeah, I mean, but but like a songwriter on the sidelines of the band where like Robert Hunter was, it almost like <clears throat> he wrote his words from the seat of Jerry's soul yeah, or the seat of his own soul and Jerry could emulate it so well. You know, I had a, a conversation with Mike Bishop yesterday um, and we were talking about some heavy stuff, but I, from a lyrical perspective, um, I, I said if. Like, I think Ripple's probably my favorite dead song, which is hard to say. I mean, the music never stopped is something I have write down on pa- written down on paper because oh, yeah. Barlow wrote that. I mean, Ripple's and I mean, one from the, when you talk about like really Sgt. Pepper's, um, like how blown away everybody was to hear that. Like, there's a couple albums that blew my fucking mind. Like, I remember in sixth grade, I bought Working Man's Dead mm. and I mm-hmm. played the tape at my buddy's at the yeah. tape. Um, then one from the vault, and then two from the vault. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I was listening to Dark Star, but the music never stopped, Slipknot. Like, yeah. I mean, those two albums were unreal. Yep. Um, I'm forgetting the, uh, the, the tangent that I ran off on. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me jump in yeah, here, please. because, um, you know, you mentioned Robert Hunter. The way, oh, that, yes. the way that John Perry Barlow started writing was, um, Bobby was many things, um, as described by John. But um, he could be an asshole and to some people. And one of the people who didn't like him was Robert Hunter. And so Robert Hunter is trying to... He's been writing with Jerry for some time. And he's trying to start writing lyrics with, with uh, Bob Weir. And so he, it, Robert's having troubles with this. It, you know, Bob's trying to rewrite some of his lyrics. Yeah, I was that's surprised. Just, that's not flying <laughs> yeah. with Robert. He's like, no, he's not. So he, so one time they're all in a room and John, John's there and he, he, he looks at John. He's like, why don't you write with him? At least you like him. Like, you get along with him. Why don't you write with him? And they have this little back and forth about, look, I'm just kind of like a poet. I don't write things. He's like, you're going to figure it out. And like that kind of Robert Hunter is the one... Um, who kind of like pushed them together and I just I thought that was like that was a reading that was kind of like a eureka moment to me yeah because like, you think of how them, cool is that yeah you think of them all as like just flower children getting Holy. along submitting lyrics and Jerry singing a song no 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 it was business it was contentious like it's, <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll you know I'll talk a little bit about um one, one thing uh, I, I will say, take you uh, home when when, when, uh, well, yeah. when John started writing with uh Bob the uh, uh Brent sorry there, that was beef that was like Bob. Bob stopped writing with him for a little while yeah. because of that. Yeah, but I always go back to, um, the, you know, when when John Perry uh, Barlow passed. I mean, I put on Cassidy right away. It's that's that's those those lyrics. I mean, I've seen where the wolf has slept. By. They just they roll through my head all the time. I mean, flight of the seabirds, scattered like lost words, wheel to the storm and fly. I mean, that man wrote Cassidy. It's just it's it's remarkable and and. Um, Am I like stupid to say? Like, I mean, it's about Neil Cassidy. It is. He also. Like, do you not like def- see the 
parallels between that guy and Chris Prosser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a, a that's, guy without a shirt on, yeah, like that's a rambling that's, all night. Like I, that's someone a I love. Of ours that he's speaking of. Yeah, but yeah, that's. Um, I thought about when I think about our friends and the. the oh yeah, yeah. It's that hard I not draw, to personalize like, all this. Yeah, that's. But so he wrote the lyrics while bulldozing snowdrifts out on the ranch, and he was thinking a lot about his father. But he was thinking a lot about Neil as well, so it it, it, yeah. it was it was it was uh, uh, both both of those, um, you know. And like he's like you know, I do personally. I do a lot of my um, writing, and this sounds weird because you're so far away from a keyboard. Is while I'm running, I, do, I find I run a lot. It's very meditative to yeah, me. Yeah, no, me too. Um, and I write I there. Run. So like he was uh, wrote the lyrics to Cassidy while bulldozing snowdrifts, um, black throated wind. Um, oddly enough, he wrote. Uh, the chorus on a bus to the airport and um, like Kathmandu not anywhere near drowning in the American uh, in the mother American night if anything he was drowning as he says in the weird Nepali night Uh, it's so funny where you find um, inspiration it's just really 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 unique Uh, um, something I said I I told you I had a deep conversation with Bishop when he said like where you'll find inspiration this was yesterday mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I wanted to tell Bishop I grabbed it from the book but I didn't know, want him to know what book we were talking about but one of Perry's um, John Perry Barlow's favorite lines is um, once in a while you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right yeah. um, and then I think like touch of gray mm-hmm. all, all these different things that um, you know like I have to remind myself like man this can suck like but Maybe it's actually awesome. Yeah. You know, and that's like what I've taken from um, bands like The Dead and Fish. How, how, how poignant is that line? You know, it really, it makes you, it's talking about opportunity in, in, in dark places. And that's beautiful. It makes you, you know, gives you hope in times of, times of pain and times of hurt. It's fucking no. amazing. The uh, one other lyric I wanted to mention, <clears throat> not to move, but when we were no, talking I'm about da- Robert Hunter. I'm not Hunter, talking lyrics. I and I, and I, when we were talking Ripple. Talk yeah. Um, if, if you Google, there's a conversation that is an, an email conversation between Terrence McKenna and Robert Hunter. Okay. And if you just, oh, yes. if yeah. you just Google that. Uh-huh. But I will just say this. If Robert Hunter says, there is a fountain that was not made by the hands of men, mm-hmm. then I believe it. Yeah. And that's not because of anything I read in the uh-huh. Bible. But that's because I think that he has the experience Absolutely. to convince me of that. Yeah. He's and, tapped and, into and, something. And, and even he says, like, when you look at the conversation he had with Terrence McKenna, he's like, ah, oh, you know, like, man, where he derived those thoughts from, he's, he, he says, he's like, I used to think this was, like, of the most important thing in, in like, my universe. And he's like, and, and maybe I still do. Um, but the, the the lyrics for Ripple, um, I know we're talking about a different lyricist, but... Um, still, no, yeah, please. Yeah, that, what, what, and, and like, those words by Robert Hunter just about, you know, from Ripple, just... Blow my mind, melt yeah. my heart, melt my soul. Like totally. the, the thought that there might be a fountain that was not made by the hands of men. Yeah. However, you want to perceive another hope, that. Another hopeful. There's a ripple in still hopeful. water. Yeah. When there was yeah. no pebble tossed. I can't help but sing. Yeah, I know. I know. Really, right? <laughs> I was at a wedding recently, a good friend of mine, and uh, he had someone speak the uh, lyrics of the Grateful Dead, and the, I talked to the guy. I went up to him right afterwards with the, his his friend in in the wedding, and I was like, "How hard was it not?" To sing, like to harmo- har- harmonize that those lyrics. Yeah, even when I say them, I have to slow them absolutely. down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I just before we do move out from lyrics, I've um, 
And I felt shame in this for a while because it was kind of, I guess, a Custy in my view, kind of like a Custy song or, or something that was kind of like newer Grateful Dead. But I, I was a huge, 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 and am still to this day a throwing stones person. Um, just that it, it all. I know the song well, but I don't know. I it's, don't have the uh, lyrics it's, it's, memorized it's well. The, and they, they are written by John, and it's it's this. Uh, the, it, it it opens with picture bright blue ball just spinning, spinning free. Dizzy with eternity, painted with a skin of sky, brush in some clouds and see, call it home for you and me. Like that, that description of Earth, like has always just blown my mind. Like it yeah. just, it just. Did he write "Standing on the Moon"? He didn't. Oh, he didn't. Okay, no. that, just the. the I don't what believe so. If I'm fucking, if I'm wrong, no, I'm I could wrong. be. I, I don't I'm pretty think sure, so I'm pretty either. sure I would know that because I, I have a, I have a deep affinity. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so, so do I. But that that actually, sounds like it doesn't. Doesn't it? it? Isn't there like? Yeah. It, there's a nice correlation there, and but then it gets deeper. So that's beautiful, and then it's, it's it's a peaceful place, or so it looks from space. A closer look reveals the human race, and like I'm fucking my my, and then it goes into some serious. Uh, ills of like shipping powders back and forth singing black goes south and white goes north and the whole world full of petty wars singing I got mine and you got yours and the current fashion set the pace lose your step fall out of grace and the radical he rants and rage singing someone's got to turn the page and the rich man in his summer home singing just leave well enough alone but his pants are down his cover's blown. It's fucking poetry. There's another line. The future's here. Uh, here we are it. We are on our own. Like a deep, like sense of realism. I mean, that song fucking kills me. It's I was I was able to uh, uh, catch you know the fairly well version. Uh, I I love Joe Russo's Almost Dead. J, uh, like J Rad plays it with fury, just pure passion. It's awesome. I. Uh, um, I need to learn more about J-Rad, by the way. I, I don't want to get... Why don't you come up? They're playing... Pro- I mean this deeply. I'm taking Tim, uh, a mutual friend of ours who's never been. I'm. They're amazing. Jerus is almost yeah, dead. Anyone some... out there who likes The Grateful Dead should really look into... It's an all-star cast of musicians... Um, like is it J Rad? Is that short for something? It's like Joe, short for Joe Russo is almost dead. So okay. Joe Russo is almost yep. dead. They're fucking incredible. They really I'm, are. I'm they, that ignorant. They have they have a, a a a spirit of an early like kind of fiery like up little up more up tempo than a lot of these other dead projects. It's it's I mean they're they're inspired. I mean these guys some of them came on to the dead a little bit later on in life, and so there's a lot of other influence of music's in there. It's um. It's I, I I speak of it better. Yeah, I get nudged by like my fish memes account. <laughs> Good, but, but but like one guy Take in particular, nudge. I have fish shoes. Um, is this one? Can guy we plug your fish about? memes account? Yeah, fish underscore memes. That's fish me. underscore memes. That's um, uh, that is George Gennady's uh, <coughs> Instagram. Check it out. But it's a guy, awesome. I have fish shoes. Um, <laughs> I don't. I think his name's Rob. Okay, uh, but it talks. He's a big fan. Yeah, he'll him and I DM more than any other person that I follow. Just about. Just music, like yeah. we just love the music. Oh, cool. We love the set list, particular songs. Like I don't even fucking know this person, but we'll challenge each other like on particular versions of songs and yeah. things like that. Like it's, it's like my favorite thing going. Um, you know, that's awesome. Well, I believe deeply in. Um, but but Jay Rad anyway, he brings uh, up a lot. Okay, oh, and, and that's why I was asking. I'm like, I don't know anything about him. Well, they're playing uh, right uh, right right up here. At when? It's gonna be their biggest show. I think Colorado. They had a big show in Colorado, the First Union Center. The Red Rocks got rained out. They were going to play Red Rocks. Um, one, one year, I think they did end up playing Red Rocks. But it's this summer. It's uh, 
the Wednesday, which would be tough. But uh, weekdays are easier for me. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, I've, there's a great after show with Nels Klein, uh, Skerrick, and um, the, uh, I forget her name right now. Well, whatever. This no. is whatever. July. It's, it's, it's July. I'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about that off. Podcast. Well, from a lyrical perspective, something I wrote down. One last thing I want yeah, to write. Yeah, I don't know which member of Fish wrote. Um, the lyric, or if it was Tom Marshall, but um, when we were talking earlier about that Jerry Seinfeld moment, where you know you have this band of artists watching what a song normal is it? family, and go, I see I, you. Oh yeah, yeah. Go on. Nice the evening at home that I dread even more. Ah. And you know, like I, I always thought that, like I, so like I broke up with, like I had a, a, a girl that probably thought I was going to marry her mm-hmm. know, a couple times, and like that's happened yeah, that's, to me. Yeah, uh, train Tom Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nice evening at home, and I dread even more. Just reminded me, like when I was at the show, I just knew that I didn't want to be anywhere but that show. Yeah. Like that lyric reminded me, like I would just dread being at home, like yeah. more than anything. Else. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So like that's, yeah. that's it goes back to your story of the musicians and the. And well, the that, well, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. So um, from a lyrical perspective, I, yeah. I love that one. But any, and and um, throwing stones, um, those lyrics. Um, um, I think it was Trey and Pollock for Blaze On. Mm-hmm. It might have been um, Marshall. I don't know. But I if, you, if you read the lyrics yes. of Blaze On, um, I think a lot of fans think that song is about like smoke and weed and blazing on. Mm-hmm. Where um, what like Bishop and I have talked about, and he might not even remember it. Um, probably does, but that that song is not about blazing um, at all. That's about like the perpetuation of war. Um, that's about mistrust, you know. Um, yeah, there's a couple. Three wrongs don't mm-hmm. make a right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so um, I think that's a song that um, I, I could spend Yeah, there's the some poignant lyricism that, that would allude to the fact that it's not about just getting You know, that, I, to me, I think that's on. about, like, everything they hate about, you know, what's going on. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway. So John's life took a lot of turns. And, uh, and... And it took him to so many fascinating places. And and I, upon finishing this book, to describe myself as being in awe of of everyone he not only rubbed shoulders with, but he was close to, would not describe, like, how blown away uh, by it. I mean, and well beyond the Grateful Dead. I mean, just, like, everyone... He, I got a fun fact for you that's not in the book. He was close friends, and this is very John Perry Barlow... Um, Ask. Uh, it just this makes sense to anyone who knows about him or knows about the book. He was close friends and neighbors of Daryl Winfield, the uh, actual Marlboro Man. Really? Doesn't that make no, sense? I didn't know. Yeah, no. To Doesn't make that so make perfect sense. Yeah. The guy who they used for the um, thing that, that was like one of his yeah. boys. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was he he he, he was friends with true Ch- cowboy. Yeah, true, yeah, it's true. He was. He was a true amongst other things. Because he was so many things. He was a true cowboy. But he was. He was close friends with JFK Jr. He was clubbing with Andy Warhol. I mean, so much. I mean, he was touching so many cultural, uh, you know. Icons. Icons and points in time. And I was wondering if any of these um, interactions speak to you or or surprised you or delighted you. Um, hmm. Like... I was most intrigued as I read throughout it, as lightly as he touched on it, was with his interactions with Jerry. I, yeah. You know, because that's like the most mystical one to me that I don't oh. know anything about. But 
he did meet a lot of like amazing, important people, and Steve Jobs, and how about this um, one, Doctor Cynthia Corner, his wife. Like, I mean, that yeah. was the most yep. touching point of the entire book. I, I mean, like I, I listen. I'm actually trying to like. I want like I said, there's spoilers, but the uh, whole Cynthia thing. If you don't know much about their relationship and what happened, that's just it's a reason to read the book alone. It's really oh that right when so <clears throat> yeah spoiler alert. <laughs> When he talked about, um, so the next, the, the chapter was called Losing Her. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is where he fucks up and loses yeah. her, man. Like, and that's what I thought he was because he was just as successful and moving forward. I just figured he fucked things up. So he was going to fuck up this relationship too, but he didn't fuck it up. She died. It's one of the most um, absolutely and like, heartbreaking I, like, I think things. I'm like, it, it, that, it, it crushed me. It, 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 it crushed me. Like, that would be like, did to him. like, I could imagine because that's how I would have felt if my wife died. Yeah. Um, after, like after the first year or two of meeting her, because it was just like I'm completely infatuated. This person's never been like this. I feel like a rock star. Oh yeah, they were. It was like kind of like still in that passionate honeymoon phase. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, twenty nine years of time old. They had yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. it was absolutely devastating. Like I said, we 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 haven't touched besides that too much on the romances and love life, but it definitely it's such a it it, it fuel it fuels his passion and and gets him through. But the one I was fucking floored to come upon uh, this, this name in this book. I knew nothing. I knew a bunch about him, but it was mostly dead related. I didn't know about his relationship with Dick Cheney. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even think of that. No, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Um, the last name I expected in the book and in such such depth, but they had a Wyoming connection. Um, both were such a fierce advocate for the state. And yep. so it actually paints... Uh, the picture of Dick Cheney as kind of, uh, kind of a normal, uh, kind of almost not not you know I, I don't want to say good because I, I I can never des- I can never <laughs> describe that man as good but uh he's but Dr. I mean Evil. you know early on because he because he's definitely Doctor Evil he was you know he was appalled by the acid rain falling in Wyoming when uh when John told him about it and he ended up shutting down some plants he uh you know they. They, they, they were working together for the better of Wyoming. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, all, all, you know, John loved his state. And, you know, even uh, Necessary Evil, as it were, was someone, if he could work with him and find ways to make things better through Dick, and yeah. that was working. Um, but soon their relationship changed, and Bar- Barlow found out he was indeed a sociopath. And those, those segments where you learn about, you know, as he became... Um, as uh, Dick Cheney began working with the Bush administration, he, uh, you know, he was in charge of uh, uh, a nuclear mission. Yeah, he was the Secretary of Defense, and he was in charge of nuclear weapons. And he was running uh, his ideas about what he was doing with the nuclear weapons in my in Wyoming. Excuse me, by John Barlow, who was of course pushing back the MX missile uh, basing system, and then further for moving forward, the Minutemen silos. All absolutely scary shit, and yeah. uh, it was crazy to see that arc. First, that Dick was involved in Barlow's life, but just that arc of but more like, that Barlow was involved in Dick's life, yeah. And even to the point where there was political discussions where Jerry was involved. Like I forget at what point the Jerry book, Garcia, a uh, George, uh, George Bush story is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like they bring these guys in. It's like, eh, well, we've got to get these guys' perspective. Yeah. Um, on things, which yeah. is like, yeah, they, even they, if well, you're one-tenth very... of the perspective, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to call in somebody like Barlow or Garcia to yeah. be one, let's say one-twentieth yeah. 
there's 20 people in the room to like shoot off their perspective and be like, you guys are all fucking assholes. Yeah. Missiles? Yeah. Are you fucking crazy? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, you and I talk in, in different podcasts about these lines they draw to divide our countries yep. and it's just terrible. And our to states, people, everything. They're imaginary lines. Yeah. And, and, and I'm a bad person on one end of the line and yeah. I'm okay on the other end of the line. Yeah. No, I mean, just, you know what? Uh, he does, when he talks about Dick Cheney, he talks about, and this is something I think about when I think politically, it's just, I, I believe some of these assholes who are doing some really extreme things believe they are working for the greater good and he, he writes that dick was motivated by what he considered the greater good but for him the greater good did not have individual faces it was far more generalized and that's that's i think when you forget the people behind policy it's some really disastrous stuff yeah. and you're trying to I, I'm, I'm i'm trying i'm fighting so hard not to bring up the immigration thing now and i won't but like when thing. you bring when it you, up when, when you, well when you just think about the idea of trying to control the borders, but not think about the people it affects. That's some. That's that, that's so. That's that that is not the way that that anyone with any empathy or soul can ever think about something. So it takes someone who believes in that they are doing something for some some fucking mighty good instead of thinking about the individual people they affect. Just on that with with with, with what's happening at the border, <clears throat> like my house was just renovated by likely a group of illegal immigrants um, overseen by a construction company that was found by a guy who spent five nights and days crossing the border into our country. Mm. This is Eduardo Cordillera. This is my yeah. construction guy. Yeah. Um, but he would say that um, the people crossing the border aren't like gun hoisting criminals. They're, 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 they're people they, they in are need. escaping Yep. Shit. Absolutely. And if you think about the like, wars in Central America, the things that they are, yeah, they are pushing through. People aren't through. just like packing up because they think that like they want... Like, Better life in America, on. man. Yeah, no, no, no not at all. They're just looking to get away from oppression. And if, if, you, if you build that wall, they're going to die on the other end of it. And yeah. so like, <clears throat> I hope that the wall never gets built. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know? fucking straight, man. And and, uh, and, and hopefully, but, but, we but can... hopefully we can come up with a way to just say like, if you if, if life is hard, like you know, this is the place you can come. I mean, that's we can what, just do that's better. How we started, we yeah. can we can we can yeah. we, we can do better. Uh, to we we would be com- we we have to dig into this and we have to dig into it now. Barla's passion for the internet. Oh, we are yeah. talking about a pioneer. He the the internet was a huge part of his life and his legacy. And in this way, he was a true, true freedom fighter. Um, I mean, he was there in the early days and deeply involved in Apple's history, huge FBI cases about hackers at the dawn of the Internet, and so much more. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's a champion and advocate for civil liberties in this way. I mean, in 1990, he co-founded the Electronic Frontier Foundation to fight for users' uh, rights and even penned the fame essay... In 1996, uh, which I've read recently, which is awesome, a Declaration of Independence of Cyberspace, which advocated for an independent internet void of government rules. I mean, uh, what do you think of... I think it's such an important quest, and he's, this is, this is. I mean, to a lot of us uh, people who love music, his legacy is, you know, kind of woven into the Grateful Dead, but I think his true, true legacy is his, his, his quest to keep the internet free. What do, yeah. you, what do you think about that? I th- that's... Um I think the internet's like the biggest thing that's happened to this world. Obviously, if we want to talk about a in, hive in, in our lifetime. No fucking doubt. If there's a hive, yeah, I mean, it's the internet. Yep. And um, 
the, the, the ability to access that information freely, explore it, express yourself without concern. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, like I, I'll do in private browsing because I'm like scared, you know, of like yeah. the things that I'll browse just because I'm like my, my interest, but like Timothy Leary, um, once these guys, when they were like approaching the end of their, or Timothy Leary, like late '80s, early '90s, as the internet was like kind of really making its big footprint, it's like mm-hmm. we're going to connect everybody and share all information. Yeah. Um, that I think was the biggest deal to these guys, yeah. and so I mean, John Perry, like for him to be like a part of like the regulation to make sure that's available to everybody. Um, even the stuff he was talking about that was happening in Brazil and um, yeah, that's towards towards the end. When yeah, he, I mean that's it's it's. I mean they were like def- the minister of culture. But, yeah, but but yeah, I, I mean the the internet is where I mean if it wasn't for the internet, like I remember the first time I like I, I Google Earth Dubai. Your home isn't set up yet. To get started, download the, the Google Home app on a phone or tablet. I apologize about that. Uh, when he first, I mean. It, it was such a passion for him. Like when he first kind of came upon the idea, he was just uh, that it, that it existed. He almost like felt like he almost like saw this beforehand. Um, I think Timothy Lear was the same way. Yeah, like, in ways. Yeah, like yeah. kind kind of like envisioned that this would be something that would happen. Uh, he wrote immediately. It became clear to me that this was the nervous system of the new sphere, a postulated sphere dominated by consciousness in the mind and in interpersonal relationships that I had been thinking about ever since I first encountered the notion in the works of Father Pierre uh, Thierry de Chardin while in college. What he was just saying, he was so impressed by this collective organism of the mind and, uh, and, and, and that, that it was in fact real and it was like a growing nervous system, as he calls it. But the, the deal with you know the EFF um, was that free speech was always protected or you know to its points was was collect protected verbally and when it's written but it was not guaranteed in cyberspace and and john fought for that to be guaranteed to quote him again is our goal was to ensure that all electronic speech would be protected just as certainly as any opinions that were printed or for that matter screened so he I mean, he was on the foreground of allowing. I mean, I've, I have a website where we, we where we definitely, you know, a lot of uh, I or a lot of writers on it. When we say some things that that in certain points in history could have definitely been, uh, uh, you know, the FBI could be, you know, knocking down your doors as we saw it happened in this book. I have friends in Seoul yeah. um, that can. We can only. We have to limit our topics of conversation. That when we sc- really, yeah, how fucking <clears throat> you can't is that? blow smoke at the screen. Yeah, to somebody that's in Seoul, like totally. there's, you know, it's just like literally you can't blow it, smoke. It's at just the so amazing, you know. Like I, I feel like there was an age when I was much younger where I just, I just assumed the world was a different place that we were much further along, and then when you kind of come to a point of realization when you like. There are civil liberties that are being denied on so many fronts here and, and so many places elsewhere that are so intense. Like we, it's, we have, we have, we've come far. I, yeah. I, I don't keep that hope. I mean, with uh, all the know. rules that are in place, you're like, am I bad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like, am I, I'm a fucking I'm rebel, man. And I were talking about that yesterday. Yeah, like, I'm like, what? A, like, seriously, I'm like, I'm not bad. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? No, it's, well, I mean, it's, 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 if, if, if it's bad to want to burn the whole thing down for the good of the people, then yes, I'm bad. No, it's just, yeah. it's, 
it's it's anytime I have any sort of inclination to uh, uh, to fight back, uh, in, you know, in it, which is often it's because you know I, I see people who are oppressed and, and struggling, and that's and there's nothing bad about that. I, I, my mom said something when I was little that you just made me think of, like, and it might have been from a book, but the end of outrage. Yeah. Oh yes. Was that a book or something? Yes. Like, I, okay. Yeah. That, and, and I'll never forget that. Like, don't let the outrage end. Is like yeah. what my mom pretty much yes. used to say. Like. They'll never let it be the end of outrage. I mean, like, uh, should uh, be outrage. To, to my mom was like a jump. DC, yep. you know. To jump way off course, I mean, the fa- the founding fathers, I mean, John uh, Thomas Jefferson, who influenced um, John Perry Barlow a lot, I mean, he, he thought like a, a little bit of a rebellion here and there was great for democracy. It's important to like keep the powers in check and that's, I mean, they built it on this. This yeah. is, you, it, it will go off the rails if you let it. And I fear too many people are letting it in a lot of ways. Like, why couldn't we have a committee that would prop up the Founding Fathers' original principles? Yeah. And, like, put that on Bloomberg TV or, like, something yeah. that everybody fucking pays attention to. And I only bring up Bloomberg because my interest, my industry is market-driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, to me, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't impact the market. Yeah. But, like, if you could, um, which a market is people's behavior... Yeah. Economics is the study of human behavior. Absolutely, so people to me, forget that, that too. Um, but so that's um, like if we could really just spend more time talking about that. Um, a reminder of what it was supposed to be. Yeah, what it was supposed really, to be like. Yeah, really we were special. all supposed especially to be especially right now, man. Especially you know? right now. So, uh, in- well, even if we weren't supposed to be successful, um, I didn't mean what I just said. Okay. Um, one of the things Barlow said in this book was. Um, um, it's actually one of his um, twenty-five points. Is is, not, is thank you for saying that. We're going uh, right there. I'm is not finished. Not this to off. avoid the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, yeah. Seek to define your mission. Let's and start. Pursue let's that. Start, start from the top. So there's a chapter in this book, and it's actually the way I found Barlow a, a, a long time ago. Someone sent me these twenty-five principles of adult behavior. That Who he, sent that to you? Uh, do you remember? Great question. I do not know. Oh, Someone who's like, yeah. you're not acting right, man. <laughs> Who wanted to be? Uh, Check these out. Yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, he um, he would he would t- he wrote these and he would um, he would travel with them. He said he would pin them up from time to time, and uh, and I think it's I think they're so special. I, I encourage you all to just Google it, look it up, and read it. But I, I think they're so special. I'm, I I'd like to read them, and if you had anything to say about any of them. Um, please just jump in anytime. I'll have some things to say, but these are the 25 principles of adult behavior. Things, things he felt so important, uh, uh, that, that kind of governed what, not maybe how he lived, but how he wanted to live. Um, there's a great, uh, uh, thing and he, he, it is chapter in the book, uh, almost standalone, but there's a great joke Jerry makes the first time he shows him this, but so I'll, I'll leave that to you. Reader, uh, if you dive into the book, number one, be patient no matter what. The number one thing. Be patient no matter what. That's number one for a reason. Every meal I cook for my kids, I'm the one that cooks for our family usually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, because I like to come home and cook rather than take over with the kids. I'm not taking anything away from Bridget. Of course. But I tell my kids... The most important ingredient of everything I'm cooking is patience. Oh, wow. like you have got to be over there. That's a great patient lesson. while I do this. Um, I went through a home renovation recently. Um, I, I've dealt with the most stressful six years, or uh, excuse me, six months of my life uh-huh. in the last. But but patience is the one thing yeah. 
you have to realize like probably not going to die today um and to get through today i should probably be really patient yeah. um whether that's the, the asshole in front of me on the road um the person that's calling me trying to explain themselves mm-hmm. like just patience is to me, that's like I mean, it's a beatitude. Yeah. It's um, well, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, so like I know that the beatitudes, but um, or patience is a virtue. Yeah, no uh, question. But anyway, it's, so it's also a skill. It's something you really got to. I mean, personally, yeah, I, you, have I, to I, I have like to you cultivate it like you would cultivate. You should see me as a as a basil. New Yorker. Get out of the city. I was I was I was traveling. Uh, uh, I forget where I was going. I went to some. I was going to New England. I was in some small port, uh, airport in um, New Haven. New, New Haven has an airport, by the way. Yeah. Just FYI. Yeah. Um, and I was and waiting for a cab, and like you know, I can get a cab or an Uber, and like three walk outside and get one in two minutes. Like, and there it was like <laughs> I hit the lift thing. It was like fifteen minutes. I'm like, what the fuck? Fifteen just, minutes. No, but I just and like it's just those little little things, all those little moments. You just like it's like you said, you're fine. Fine, be patient. Well, there's a reason that's number one. Number two is don't badmouth. Assign responsibility, not blame. Say nothing of another you wouldn't say to him. Number three, never assume the motives of others are, to them, less noble than yours are to you. And I love this one. Yeah, it's the only one. I, one man, I just took a deep breath while you were reading It's the only that one, one I have a star next to here, even though a lot of them, they all mean something oh, to me. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is to me... The ills of judging. I, I know I was mentioning to you in a conversation we recently had. I feel like one of the things that um, that I find myself judging most often right now is judging. I'm just like I, I just at this point in my life, I've seen so many people struggle with so many different things, and when I just hear people judging or, or go back to number two, bad mouthing, but usually that bad mouthing is a judgmental statement. Uh, on anyone, it's just like you fucking have no idea what the. I mean, that old adage: you don't know, you know, to walk in their shoes. You don't know what they're going through, and also you might be closing walls down if if you're judging someone on on some premeditated idea you had on something. You might be denying yourself friendship. You might be deci- denying yourself insight. Uh, the less the the as much as we talked about working on patience. Working on not judging and opening your mind to other people is, I think, the power in that. Uh, it's 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 led me places, and I'm still just you know in working on it. But it's yeah, I think me it's too. So, so. I love that you like that's probably and three is like a, a number in my mind. That was always like yeah <clears throat> the recurring magical number to me. But um, yeah, I yeah. other people. Um, how could I really judge what anybody else is feeling? Yeah. Thinking? Let's not be judged, George. Yeah. Let's not be Hard judged. Hard enough on myself. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll handle the self-judgment. Number four. Of, oh, go on. Go on. Please, number four. Expand your sense of the possible. No which problem is there. Just, which yeah, is and just that's beautiful, you and me. Man. Yeah, yeah. Just beautiful. Number five. Don't trouble yourself with matters you truly cannot change. Really don't. Yep. Six, expect no more of anyone than you can deliver Actually, yourself. Actually, let me just say, Jump don't in. trouble yourself with matters you truly cannot change. If you watch the news and get worked up about it and don't do anything about it, yeah. don't watch the news. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Number five. <laughs> that made me laugh real good. Um, number six, expect no more of anyone than you can deliver yourself. Number seven, tolerate 
ambiguity. I, really I, cool. I, 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 yesterday, really I googled. Cool. I even know what the word means. Like, oh no! Find ambiguity. Yeah, because <laughs> I wanted to see what it meant. Yeah, what, it's, that's yeah. cool. I mean, who who the fuck knows? Eight, laugh at yourself frequently. I'm good at Very that. Very important. Yeah, <laughs> too good at that. Number nine, concern yourself what is with what is right rather than who is right. And I think this is important to me politically. I am just like in a lot of, um, you know, I, I hate the fact that, um, you know, they that whatever the powers that be or whatever time has occurred that we are split into Republicans and Democrats or whatever. Like we're so, so many people are just taking sides on issues instead of let's talk about what is right. Let's, let's, I mean, this is fucking ridiculous. Why are, we're not, fuck these teams. And it just, it's, it's more and more frustrating to me because we need to concern ourselves with what is right and not who is right. Number 10, never forget that no, no matter how certain you might be wrong. Um, I personally, I learned to kind of, that's a fucking zinger. I kind of remember, remember, uh, that no matter how certain you might be wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's such a hard thing totally. to reread. But I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I, but I, I feel like I've really, I've learned to appreciate being wrong because when, when, when I'm saying something and, uh, you know, I might really believe it and someone's like, no, it's actually this. Instead of like being offended and, and, and now I'm just like, oh shit, is that right? Oh, cool. I just learned something. So, like, each time you are wrong, as long as the person's not an asshole, I mean, a lot of people like to rub in some some mistakes and stuff like that. I mean, it, when someone's telling me that, like, oh, my, no, no, it's actually this, I find it to be they're giving me a gift. And my, you know, my by, by being wrong, I just learned something, and that, now I'm right next time. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, that's, it's a weird cycle, but, uh, uh, yeah, moving on. Number 11, give up blood sports, which I think, totally, I think, I think that's great. Another team aspect thing. It's like, it's just like the us versus them. It's like, I'm not going to get on a high horse. I get on. to hurt people. Yeah, exactly. Same bottom thing. Line, yeah. Totally. Hurting each other. And just, and, and championing things that hurt people. Yeah. 12, remember that your life belongs to others as well. Don't risk it frivolously. Mm. If one was going to make me cry, this would be it. Yeah. I have kids. 13. Never lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I risk my life frivolously. Yeah. 13. Never lie to anyone for any reason. I like how here he adds uh, in, in, in parentheses, <laughs> lies of omission are sometimes exempt. <laughs> the funny thing about that is <clears throat> one time I had a party at my mountain house. Um, well, growing up, I was like, I, I didn't have the money that Barlow had, but I, I mean, I had, my parents had a mountain house, a beach house, and... But I had a party at my mountain house, Bishop Pierce, Shout, you know, like the whole crew was there. And like we we popped the Zodiac boat, like fucked up the house. And uh, (laughs) I didn't tell my dad about it. My dad told me a lie of omission is a lie. Yeah. And and I didn't know what that meant. And there was no Google, like to go Google what my dad did. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, explain yourself, dad. (laughs) But so, and then me and Bridget have recently been rewatching. Breaking Bad, just because like uh, TV is boring. Yeah, because it's one the of the greatest stories but ever when, told. When, 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 um, um, uh, what's his name? Who do you need Pinkman. to know? I was gonna say I know anyone. Pinkman's That's, trying to decide yeah. whether or not he needs to tell, like his girlfriend yeah. who has the kid that he actually killed. Like, yeah. what's his name the scientist what? and he's like I have to tell him that and it's like and, and then Walter's like making him feel guilty like almost like he has to tell her I'm like that's where a lie of omission would fit well, in and I, think, okay. I think the point he makes with this exemption is there's there are things um, that that could just go away that 
if you did say them to somebody, you would just hurt them. And so well, there I, are certain I, I, times I agree when, with that. In, in a relationship, like if I had a friend that was like, oh, this happens, and I would say, well, yeah. they're trying to do themselves a favor by unloading the guilt. Yeah. Like, oh, it can't, you, it can't get you both ways, though. Yeah, like, I know. It, it, and it can. Out. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. fun. Uh, yeah. Where are we? 14. Learn the needs of those around you and respect them. 15. Avoid the pursuit of happiness. Seek to uh, determine your mission and pursue that. That's, a, that's very interesting. I know we spoke about that earlier. 16. Reduce the use of the first person pronoun. It. It's not all about you, man. Mm-hmm. 17. Praise at least as often as you disparage. Do that. 18. Admit your errors freely and soon. That really... Um, that really goes back to Ted. Never forget that, no matter how certain you might be wrong. Yeah. He's really driving that home, which is really cool. Uh, 19, become less suspicious of joy. Uh, I've never had a problem there. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, but I, I understand it. It should be on the list. Well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, if you think about it with this book, that is kind of poignant because he was always talking about having a problem accepting love, and love a lot yeah, yeah. It, it equates with uh, happiness oh, and right. joy. Yeah. Um, so that's a deep thing for him. That's very telling. 20, understand humility. 21, remember that love forgives everything. Um, you know, there's a great moment in the book, and we're definitely not saying it right now, but um, where that comes into play, because it's kind of towards the end, and it's fucking beautiful. 22, foster dignity. But well, remember that love forgives everything. Like, yeah. like that, like, I know that my friends know who I am, and yeah. I know who they are, but... Um, they couldn't fuck up anything. Yep. Because I yeah. love them. Yeah, in that fact, love they could is pull never me into anything is complex because I love my friends. Well, I always said, I'll help you bury a body, man. Yeah. That's what I used to say in high school. Like, yeah. And I. Like, You're speaking of an unconditional love, which is beautiful too, and, and that love forgives yeah, everything. Yeah, that's my homeless. Uh, 22 is for foster dignity. 23, live memorably. Get out hey. there. Get out there. 24, your love zone. yourself. Oh my god, the hardest thing in the world. Yep. Uh, and 25, to bring it home, just the word endure. Uh, it's a battle out there sometimes. You gotta weather weather that storm. Get through it, man. There's 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 light. So, I mean, the themes. The sun it, will rise, sun you know, to rise. sound like castaway. Absolutely. Um, but the endure, because the sun will rise, like, I'm somebody who, like, has a problem with, like, I, I think I have massive endurance, but, like, I feel like the headwinds against me are so strong every yeah. day. Like, Absolutely. And you might feel the same way. I'm not, like, one of these people that, like, you know, like, I perceive other people to just kind of move about their lives, but I, I, myself, I'm, I feel like I'm up against some serious headwinds and, um, that they'll never stop and that they're really strong. So I want anybody to know that, um, yeah. you're not alone, alone, every, alone, every, alone. Every, 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 Hold on a Little, little blip in the Greek. Uh, problems. everyone out there is fighting a battle you know nothing about. That, that, that line is just, it's, it's so true. It's, it's out there in the ether and it's, so very very true but uh the themes involved in these 25 the humility love uh don't it, it basically a lot of it's saying don't give into your ego i feel like yep. a lot of these never mentions the word but it's i feel like it's such a uh an, an important word within that's kind of buried within all these it's like that bat, you know battle on that ego that's 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 a big deal so that that means a lot to me this book meant a lot to me talking with you about it means a lot to me it meant a lot to me too man. yeah it's his life um you know it, it, it's 
it's there's so much that his life and this memoir have to offer and he didn't have to write this book no no <laughs> he, he didn't have to do anything he did i mean they, we're not even talking about he the some of the things he did there's there's uh the like we're the skipping pure, a lot of the yeah book. the pure yeah. water project is brilliant huge he was on the forefront of championing for like, yeah for, that should still be a funded project like absolutely. as i listened through that i'm like whoa That's what's going on what with I, that? I, I made a note when i was reading that i'm like we people need to pick that up and take off where he was going from and there are a lot of people working on that because there's a lot of money and um cleaning water but i mean he was championing even down to the point of recycling paper he found out yeah. that like the, the the you know they were collecting paper to recycle but they weren't doing something about it he was on the like the forefront of that this man he has done so much for us and it, it means a lot to us to kind of celebrate him here to toast to him to fairly well and he uh it, it's so special check out this book um thank you for listening everyone thank you for jo- being here oh, thank you for having me this was um, fun man yeah, and again, thanks, thanks for uh, being here and taking, uh, taking another trip with us beyond the margin. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com. Storm and fly.
nothing to tell them. The truth be yours, I'm done with mine. Very well now, let your life proceed by its own design. Nothing to tell them.